Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm also going to read from verses 20 to 25, which is not in your handout, but it says, in the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? And you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. Now moving into Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stood all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Amen. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Jason. Well, this morning's all about parents, babies. And uh, we all qualify for one of those categories. Because we were all a baby at some point. So let's start, I want to start today with some baby questions. You ready? It's not fastest to the finger or, you know, anything, but um, here we go. 
How did baby Jesus learn to walk? One foot after another. How did he learn to talk and eat and use the bathroom? And how did he learn to read and be a tradesman? Well, some people might say, well, he's, he's God. He just knew. How did he learn to pray? How did Jesus learn to worship God and to study the scriptures? Who do you think taught Jesus about the character of God? Who do you think explained the covenants that God had made with Israel to Jesus? And who do you think it was that first began to speak to him about his identity and his, and his life's unique purpose? Well, hopefully as you've been processing those questions I'm saying, you realize that uh, Joseph and Mary feature as the answer. That's the starting point with all of these things as it is with all children. Uh, Joseph and Mary, of course, they taught Jesus how to walk. They taught him how to eat. They taught him how to read and use the bathroom. All the normal things that parents do. No child comes into the world knowing any of these things. They have to learn them. And Jesus wasn't an exception to that. The mystery and the wonder of God in flesh. The eternal, infinite God becoming a baby. Mary and Joseph taught Jesus about the character of God. They would have taught him how to pray and to worship and to obey God. Now, some of the ways they would have done that was, of course, they would have recounted to him the story around his birth of how the angel Gabriel had come to Mary and had made this announcement about him. Uh, they would have told the story of what happened when Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth uh, while, and Jesus was in Mary's womb and how he had, uh, John, the baby that was being in Elizabeth's womb, leaped when, when they heard Mary's voice. They would have told Jesus what the shepherds said when they showed up the night he was born. They would have told him what Simeon and Anna said. We left that bit out of the reading. We, we could have and probably should have read the whole of Luke 2. There's so many details. And if you're not familiar with Luke 2, go back and have a read and you see, you'll see what so many of the things that I'm saying. They would have told Jesus, I'm sure, at some point of how an angel warned Joseph in a dream that they should flee to Egypt. All of these things, the family story, the unfolding reality, and it all would have begun with the fact that Joseph and Mary were dedicated to God. It's as simple as this. And this morning we've had parents who are themselves dedicated to God, bringing their children and dedicating them publicly to God. I think that uh, Mary and Joseph were what I would call Deuteronomy 6 people. And if you've got your hand out there and you want to open it up to Deuteronomy 6, it begins with the statement there. And just a quick 
quick synopsis of Deuteronomy. It's happening on the banks of the Jordan River, 40 years in, out of the, after they've left Egypt and they've traveled through. There's a whole generation that have died off that refused to go into the land. So this is the new generation that's about to go into the land. For six weeks, they, bat, they camp by the side of the Jordan River before they go in. The book of Deuteronomy is basically six-week Bible camp with Moses retelling all that's gone on because so many of them had grown up and they needed to hear the story afresh and be reminded of all these things. And so when Deuteronomy 6 comes, it's this statement of the Lord, Yahweh, is our only God. This is where it all begins. And this is where it begins with, for Mary and Joseph. The Lord is our God and the Lord alone. I think Joseph and Mary were committed to loving God with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength, as Deuteronomy 6.5 tells them to do. I believe that Mary and Joseph had committed themselves wholeheartedly to obey God's commands, Deuteronomy 6.6. They were dedicated to God. Luke tells us, and you had this read to you, that they, in obedience, because they're committed to obey everything that God has commanded them to do because they are people who are loving God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength then they dedicated their son as the scriptures required as as God required on the eighth day it says they turned up after he was born they gave him the name that they were told to name him by Gabriel they didn't come up with a new name they said no we're going with the name that we were told and then so they do that on the eighth day then 25 days later they come back to the temple in Jerusalem with two pigeons as required in the Torah for the purification offering which is from Leviticus 12 they do all this because they're wholehearted they've set their hearts so they're first of all dedicated to God much easier to dedicate your children to God when your heart is there already let me just make a side note here let me just um Wreck Christmas for some of you, or at least the nativity scenes. Um, Here's Mary and Joseph, and you can see the pigeons in the cage. They're coming for the purification offering. If you're familiar with Leviticus, you know that um, uh, that's that's for poor people. Poor people bring this offering. It's one of the clues that we have that the Magi were not there at the birth of Jesus. They came sometime in the first two years, right? Because this is, a, this is 33 days after he was born. If they had received gold, these are committed people. These aren't cheapskates. They're giving God their best. If they got gold, they're buying the lamb. The lamb is the expensive offering from Leviticus 12. The fact they're bringing the poor people offering tells you it's one of the clues anyway we'll leave it at that Um, so Mary and Joseph are themselves dedicated to God and when when parents are dedicated to God they clearly have a goal for their child and I want to suggest this is the goal you might not use exactly these words, but this is what I think is the goal of every parent that is dedicated to God. The goal they have for their child or children is to cultivate in that child a heart that is captivated by the beauty of God so that worship, obedience and love of God is unavoidable. 
That's the target. What they do for a job is secondary. This is the primary goal that I think so many of you in this room have already signed up for. And if you're here this morning and you haven't signed up for that, I want to encourage and challenge you and say, this is it. This is, there's nothing greater than this goal for your child. To help your child cultivate a heart that's captivated by the beauty of God. By who God is. That they stand in awe before him. Children don't have very long attention spans, so that usually lasts a couple of seconds. Um, but as they grow up, it's what you want for them. Is that they can stand because they've seen the beauty of God. I read a, a book a number of years ago called Built to Last. How many of you have read that book, Built to Last? It's come out in 1994, showing my age a little bit. And uh, this, I believe, is what the author of that book, Jim Collins, call, would call a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's, it's that big one. It's the biggest one that you can possibly have. I tell you, to set this as a goal as a parent and then to actually, because what it requires of you, that, that's going to shape your family life. You see, you can't have that for your child in isolation of how you live. You have to, first of all, be that person who's cultivating a heart that's captivated by the beauty of God so that love, obedience and worship overflows out of you. You will not pass that on to your child or your children if that's not who you are and if that's not the way that you're cultivating your family life and the rhythms of your home and how you spend your time and what you do. Your child will never catch it if they don't see it in you. I think Mary's like this. And there's a beautiful song that she sings when she visits her cousin Elizabeth when they're both pregnant. And you listen to the words of this. It's in Luke 1, 46 to 55. And she says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. He made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. If you spend some time with that text, you just get caught up in the worship and the adoration that's flowing out of Mary's heart. You see, that's her normal, to be captivated by the beauty of God. To be a person who is a wholehearted person of God who worships, obeys and loves God. You might be sitting there this morning thinking, well, I'm not sure how to begin to do that. How do I begin to cultivate a heart like that? Well, you could sit with Mary's song, but you could also go right back to the very beginning, really, in Exodus 34, 5 to 8, when, when Moses prays this audacious prayer and he says, God, show me your glory. It's a gutsy prayer if you're familiar with the context. 
He's like, God, show me your glory. And says, God comes down. And he declares who he is to, to Moses. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you would be familiar with it. But can you imagine God physically present? He's hiding you in a rock. He's covering with your hand because the blaze of his glory would burn you up. He's protecting you. And at the same time, he's singing over you and he's declaring who he is. And he says, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. That's who God is. The God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Here's a thought experiment for you. What if for the next 30 days you set yourself a 10-minute appointment at the same time and place every day to contemplate the God who is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. What if you just took 10 minutes every day for the next 30 days and sat with that phrase and said, God, I want to know you as that one who is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I want to know you. I want to see that about you. And what if you began to write that phrase out? What if you began to draw it? Some of your artistic types draw it. Some of you, you could sing it. What about if you began to sing that phrase every day for 30 days? God, I want to see you. I want to know you in that way. This is the goal of parents. But there's a bit more. The world needs parents who are dedicated and have this goal, but it also needs parents who are deliberate and directional. So this is a 3D presentation so far this morning, everybody. You see, parents who have dedicated themselves to God are people who renew that dedication daily. It's not just a one-off thing. It's not like, oh, I did that, I did that. Yeah, way back in whatever year it was, 2000, 2005, I dedicated. No, it's like it's a daily thing. They dedicate themselves to God and they renew it every day. Parents who dedicate their children to God publicly like this, they do that in their hearts every day as well. So it's not just that as a parent you dedicate yourself to God as a fresh each day, but you dedicate your children afresh today. Um, it's a great privilege to have... Uh, my parents and Julie's parents here this morning um, and because there was a day when these two couples uh, dedicated themselves to God, there was a day when they dedicated each of their children to God and now uh, Julie and I made the same choice, there was a day in 1987 and again in 1989, where we stood up in front of our, our church family and we publicly dedicated ourselves and our sons to the Lord. And this morning, it's a repeat for Nathan and Lauren. They've done it twice before. But I can't tell you, folks, the joy in my heart and the restraint I had to put around myself to have my two sons and wives and grandchildren up here. 
as well. Four generations in this room is a testimony to Jesus. And so I want to say thank you to my parents and to Julie's parents that you dedicated yourselves to God and you were deliberate about the way that you parented and you kept pushing us in God's direction because that's what you want to do. You make sure as a family that everything you're doing is moving you in God's direction. That's what I mean by directional. So you are deliberate, you know what your goal is and you're deliberate about this and you're directional. So come back to Jesus. Who taught Jesus to pray? Uh, We know Joseph taught Jesus to pray. Uh, God bless all the mums that teach their kids to pray. But God blesses the dads who teach their sons to pray because that's the way that it should be. And we know from um, records of the day that it was the men who would stand and they would teach their sons to pray. So I'm confident that it was Joseph that taught Jesus to pray because that's what Jewish practice is and still is to this day. I think at some point uh, Jesus asked the Deuteronomy 6.20 question which was part of the reading that you didn't have in your notes. And it's that question of like, uh, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? I think Jesus at some point asked that question. And I think it was before the age of 12. And at some point, I believe they told Jesus the Exodus story from there. They come from slavery in Egypt. And you can guarantee that story was told over and over again every year as they went up for Passover, which is what they were commanded to do. Every year they're retelling that story. God, we were slaves in Egypt and God said us. And we, we ought to be doing that. Christian parents, I know many of you are, but in just in case you're not, you ought to be telling your children on a regular basis, I was a slave to sin and death. But Christ, through the power of the cross, set me free. And I am now free to worship and love and obey God with all of my heart, soul and mind and strength. There's a joy in that. How did Jesus know that the temple was his father's house? The need of the hour is for parents who are dedicated to God. Deliberate about the goal they're moving their children towards and keep on going in that direction. They're powerful influences in our society and culture that want to shape the development of your children in ungodly ways. There are voices that continually rise up to say the government should have more to say about the influences of children and how children should be raised. So I want to say to everybody this morning, And I want to include grandparents in this as well, and even great-grandparents as well. I want to say passive parenting is an absolute recipe for disaster for your children. Passive parenting, you're going to kill them. Not physically kill them, but if you're passive, society will shape them. We do not live in a vacuum, people. Society is speaking to your children every single day, telling them what to believe about themselves, what to believe, what to wear, everything, what to think. If you are not engaged in that conversation with your child every day, you are losing the battle. And it starts at the youngest age. 
The younger you start having those conversations with your children and being completely unapologetic about it, the better off your child will be. Passive parenting is a recipe for disaster. But that's one end of the range. The other end of the range that's as much a disaster is to be highly controlling or manipulative. That is also a disaster. You've got to find that place where you're proactive, you are giving direction and you're shaping your child, but as they grow, you have to allow them those kind of freedoms that can come. But if you've laid the groundwork at the beginning by being dedicated, being deliberate and being directional, you will be a long way there towards that goal. And there's one more thing I want to add this morning and it's this one. You need to also be discerning as parents. And this comes in a number of ways. We need to discern God's season. Because the earth, all of creation isn't static. It's moving in a particular direction. And the Bible tells us that God is sovereignly working according to his eternal timetable. And so we want to discern the season that we're living in according to God's purposes. Because it's not just going to keep rolling on as it's always rolled on or as we think it's always rolled on. It's a, it's a movement. It's going somewhere. There's, a, there's points that are key in it. And the key thing for us to understand is the, that Jesus is returning to establish his kingdom and kingship and rule the world. And the Bible tells us this so clearly. That God is preparing everything for the return of Jesus to rule the world from Jerusalem. Now, the thing that the biblical prophets all say is that the years immediately preceding Jesus' return will be unprecedented. Who's heard the word unprecedented, an unprecedented number of times in 2021? Unprecedented means it hasn't happened before. 2020, yeah, 2020. Sorry, I'm ahead of myself. I, live in, I often live in the future. The times will be unprecedented. Things will be happening that have never been happened before. So one of the things as a parent that you will be doing, as a discerning parent, you will be immersing yourself, you'll be immersing your family in the prophetic scriptures, of which there are approximately 150 chapters that detail this time frame about the return of Jesus. And New Life Church, we provide opportunities for men and women and we also include this as part of our, our children and youth curriculum. Because one of the key things that Jesus says, and this is where discernment is crucial, one of the key things that Jesus says is don't be deceived. When his disciples were asking him about that time, how would they recognize it? He said to them three times in his answer, don't be deceived. Be, be warned. So there's this time of global upheaval that will increase lawlessness and fear and deception. Lawlessness, fear and deception will increase in this period of time. It's going to escalate. I think it would be a reasonable thing to say in 2020, we've seen those things escalate. People are very vulnerable. We're, we're actually bombarded all the time through our media to be afraid. I find that more and more. You pick up a newspaper 
and all across it you're told be afraid watch a news broadcast you're being told be afraid all the time and so there's a real vulnerability to people being controlled by fear and Jesus provides us an antidote for fear it's to stand in the place of prayer and confidence that we understand where the story is going when you know I, I listen to some of these news broadcasts and I think I know that this is not the end I know that this is not how it's going to play out but for people who don't know how the story of God is unfolding and they're just hearing this information they would be I'd be I completely understand how they're gripped with fear People are going to be vulnerable to being manipulated by deception. And so there's a lot of things. So part of being discerning is these things here. Is learning God's season and teaching your children. But it begins again with us being able to discern truth from impeccable lies. Uh, The word impeccable is deliberately because they sound impeccable. Like it sounds like you can't challenge it, but it's actually a lie. So, but how will you know? You need to have some outside reference to be able to do that. You need to be able to teach your children and understand for yourself wisdom from information. Our world is swimming in information. We've got so much inf- more information than we know what to do with. But what we don't have is wisdom. We don't have people with wisdom of how to, do, how to filter that information, how to apply it, what to let go of through and we've got people who've got they don't have character but they have charisma you know and they're like wow the amazing phenomenal people but behind the scenes they're doing all sorts of things because they don't have any character teaching a child not to be um, overtaken by someone's personality by someone's charisma of how they portray themselves publicly and that's partly why I use this mask image in this slide because it's this reminder that there's this veneer that often people are wearing that looks innocuous but behind it is very evil intent and agenda and we want to be people who discern the time and the season in which we live and we want to be people who are able to discern truth from lies, wisdom from information and character from charisma. And we want to be able to teach our children that. We need to be parents who are dedicated, deliberate, directional and discerning because we've got this goal of cultivating this heart in our children by the beauty of God so that worship and obedience and love of God is unavoidable. As I finish this morning, as the worship team come up, I want to just say it all begins with Jesus. Everything begins with Jesus and the Bible tells us everything ends with Jesus. So the first thing we do is give Jesus our everything as a response to his own self-giving, self-sacrificing love. We're always the response. We aren't the initiator. We're not doing God any favors. We're responding 
to his grace and his favour, his love lavished on us. It begins with us asking Jesus every day to help us to be people who are dedicated, deliberate, directional and discerning. One of the great things is that when we ask Jesus, he helps us. When we ask him for help, he helps us. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that he necessarily um, makes life smooth sailing, but it means he's, he presences himself with us and he helps us to do those things. I want to invite you to pray with me, please. Would you make a response to Jesus this morning? Would you pray in your own words and dedicate yourself to Jesus? It could be that you've done it before or it could be that this is the first time this morning. Say, Jesus, I'm all in. I dedicate myself wholly and solely to you. And would you ask Jesus to help you become a deliberate and directional and discerning person? Just tell him that you need his help to do that. Perhaps you realize this morning as you've been listening that been passive about your life, passive about your parenting rather than deliberate say Jesus help me help me to be someone who's deliberate and directional and discerning then would you ask Jesus to help you to cultivate a heart that's captivated by the beauty of God be able to share that with other people. Words like the song that Mary sang would well up from within you because your heart is a heart that's captivated by God, by how beautiful He is, how wonderful God is, and that those words are the words that overflow out of your So Jesus, help us. Help us with all of these things. The time is short, we understand that. Awaken us and help us in this time. And God, as we pray these things, we pray not just for ourselves, but we pray for all the people in this region. Lord, we pray for every family represented in Fremantle Christian College. To see you, and to know you, to love you, worship you and obey you. The grateful love will be what overflows out of our hearts because we're captivated by you. 
Thank you for this time we've had together, Jesus. Amen.